Well, good morning to you all. I still haven't figured out who the voice is in that, but uh, I, I think I'm getting a better clue who it might be, and uh, we should almost have a prize or something, anybody who can figure it out. But anyway, we're glad you're here this morning, and you're nice and squished in. Oh, some people broke the rope barriers on the edges, so that's okay, by the way. Uh, if it starts to get full, we do that. But we are glad you're here this morning. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, as we are in the... Uh, uh, second advent of Christmas, as we think about that blessed day 2,000 years ago, where you, Jesus Christ, who was before creation, you, Jesus Christ, who actually created the heavens and the earth, came down in the person of Jesus, fully God and fully man, and you lived amongst us. And this all happened as we celebrate on December 25th that the world would be redeemed, the world would be transformed, that there would be hope that would replace the sin and the hurt and the pain that so many of us experience in our lives. So thank you, this second Advent day. Speak to us, Holy Spirit, in Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen. So I have a question, who here speaks good German? Anybody? Can you say uh, Silent Night for me in German? <laughs> say it again. Oh, I'm not even going to try. I, I got the Nacht stuff. Sorry, I've got to wipe off my screen now. The song Silent Night, as I was uh, looking up uh, the song this week, um, it, it was written in about the 1800s, early 1800s, and it was in a little teeny little Australian village up in the mountains, and uh, it was written by two unknown people. One was the pastor of the church, and another was a friend of the pastor of the church who knew something about music. Uh, in fact, for over 100 years, most people thought Silent Night was like Beethoven or, or one of the great composers had written it. But it is, if you look at the words, it's a very simple song. And in fact, if you look at most hymns written at that time, hymns often were great big, long-worded theological uh, treaties and lots of good, solid doctrine in them. And uh, this song is very simple, Silent Night, Holy Night. And uh, uh, I love the song and everything. It is. If you didn't know, Silent Night is the third most sold song in history. And uh, that's incredible, even in and of itself. But understanding that, to put it in our perspective, it was like a little church in Puskupi. Does anything good? Oh, somebody cheered Puskupi. Better be careful what I say. I thought I'd pick across the border there. But a little church in Puskupi with a little pastor that nobody knows writes a song this Christmas Eve. And he has a friend in the church that knows a little bit of mu about music and writes a song. And it suddenly, within 30 years, goes global. Uh, that was Silent Night. I say that story to you to say that Christmas is full of miracles. But I want to argue even further, the world is full of miracles. Where God is orchestrating in all the muck and mire and sin and hurt and betrayal and pain that this world has, God is inserting himself. And God is working in your life and my life, and he's working it so the gates of hell would be pushed back. 
and that light would come into your soul, that your soul wounds and your soul hurts and, and your guilt and your shame would be removed and replaced with his glory and his holiness. Silent night, holy night. Did you know there's actually six verses in the song? I'm not going to say them to you because the service would get too long. You can Google that later. Uh, verse 4, 5, and 6 are pretty cool, pretty incredible. But Christmas has a lot of interesting stories. I mean, St. Nicholas, right? You think Santa Claus? Well, he actually was a third century bishop who, for whatever reason, decided to give presents to children. This is Christmas. Last week, we looked at the original start of this great day. And if you remember, we went way back to Genesis chapter three in the Bible. We're gonna look there again a little bit. But we even went further back to before creation, to before Adam and Eve sinned, that God in the Trinity was already planning for man to sin. And he had a way to redeem us, a way to change us, a way to bring light into the darkness. Today we'll look at some prophecies that were fulfilled in Jesus' birth. And if you didn't know, you can Google this, and I Googled it quickly last night, just out of curiosity. How many prophecies did Jesus fulfill from the Old Testament? And uh, depends who you read. And I looked at a bunch of the prophecies, and I discovered something. I go, eh, that's not, well, kind of fulfilled, kind of not. Anywhere from 50 prophecies, which is unbelievable. I mean, you get these guys like Nostradamus or some of these old prophets of old that, that were not necessarily Christian. I mean, they'd be good to have a dozen that actually came true. But 50 prophecies in the least. And some would say up to 600 prophecies were fulfilled when Jesus was born. You see, from the beginning, God has had a plan. And it's a plan of redemption. It's a plan of salvation. It's a plan of wholeness in your broken soul. It's noteworthy that there was 50 to 400 prophecies fulfilled in Jesus' birth, life, and death. However, today we're just going to look at four. Four prophecies that predicted Jesus' birth specifically. And by the way, I probably could have picked more than that, but I chose just these four. And you'll start to see the reason or why I've chosen these four. And so we're going to go through prediction one, two, three, and four. And prediction one this morning is that Jesus, the Messiah, would be born of a woman. Now, you might go, well, what's the big significance of this? Once we get to point two and three, it'll make more sense. But prediction number one, Jesus would be born of a woman. In other words, Jesus was a man like you and I. And that's gonna shock some of you, but we'll get on to that he is also God. This point makes more sense when we get a little further on. So we looked at this one a little bit last week, but turn in your Bibles to Genesis chapter three, verse 15. And you might remember as we looked at this verse, you'll notice some plural references. And I will put enmity, now this was God speaking to Satan, and I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring, plural, and hers. In other words, there is a sense of there is something specific and incredible in the person of Jesus to happen. <coughs> And whatever this offspring does is going to, listen to this, 
Crush your head, Satan, and you will strike his heel. I mean, it really is setting up for what happened at the Garden of Gethsemane and when Jesus was hung on the cross and how on the third day Jesus rose again and the very death and resurrection of Jesus literally crushed Satan's head and plan. In the Bible, in Romans chapter 16, this is the New Testament, written by the Apostle Paul to the Roman church. And this verse was written really in response, if you read the few verses before this, there was some opposition that they were going through. And worst case of all, it was kind of from within. There were those that had come within their midst and were teaching false doctrines and they were doing all sorts of mess. They were causing division in the church. It was painful, it was hurtful. You've never been through that in the church, have you? But listen to this, if you've ever been hurt in the church. The God of peace will soon crush Satan under your feet. This is a reference to Genesis 3, 15. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. When you look a little further into the book of Galatians, same author, Paul, writing to the church in Galatia, he wrote in chapter four, verse four, but when the set time had fully come, Somebody after the first service came up to me and said, do you realize that that star that the wise men were following from the east, that they figure it was both a star and a planet that lined up just perfectly, and as the earth rotated, it gave the appearance that the star was moving, and it led the wise men all the way to Bethlehem, literally shining down really bright on Bethlehem. And he said, when I heard that, I was just so moved. This is incredible that God not just orchestrated things here on earth, but he orchestrated the cosmos. But when the time had fully come, and I want you to understand that God is in control, friends, and it may seem like your life is out of control. It may seem like the hurt you're going through or the disappointment you're going through is overwhelming, but I want you to know God is with you. God sent his son, born of a woman, the text says, born under the law, and he needed to be born under the law for he needed to fulfill the law, the scripture says. Verse five, to redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption to sonship. Now remember last week we talked about the Garden of Eden, Adam and Eve sin. They're put out of the presence of God. Jesus Christ came to reconcile, to restore, to redeem, and give us sonship with the Heavenly Father. He was born of a woman so that his death could legally be a substitute for our sins and death. His human birth, Jesus' human birth, Jesus being born of a woman, crushed Satan's head. It crushed Satan's plan. This last week I met with Pastor Tony Warner. He's from a Pentecostal church in Fort St. John. Now you have heard me say that we have uh, been working through and working with Church Renewal Network. <coughs> Pastor Tony has been with Church Renewal for about four and a half years. And uh, after he was in it for about a year, he began to pray that God would raise up another church in Fort St. John that would be a part of the Renewal Network so they could kind of work together as a team and then hopefully spread to other churches. And uh, so he began to pray and nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. And uh, then God put on his heart Grand Prairie Alliance Church 
And Pastor Tony told me that he began to understand as Grand Prairie Alliance Church went, so went all the churches in the Peace Country. So he began to pray three years ago that we would be a church renewal partner. Now let me back you up and tell you a little bit of my story. I am a skeptic of everything. It's amazing I became a Christian. It's proof and truths like this, by the way, that got me there, but I am such a skeptic, so when I hear of something like church renewal, I go, hmm, yeah, yeah, interesting, cool, have fun, enjoy it. And about two years ago, my wife and I decided to take a trip to Vancouver Island. We wanted to go on a holiday, and I have a friend there, and uh, he happens to have a cabin on a lake, and so I phoned him up. I, he was best man at my wedding, so I know him. And I said, hey, could I use your cabin? He said, yeah, sure, come on this date and this date. So we go down to Vancouver Island, and I have lunch with my friend Rob, who I hadn't really talked a lot with in years. And we're sitting there talking. I said, so what's exciting in your life? And he goes, oh, he said, a year ago, he said, I went out to church renewal. And I'm going, oh, yeah, okay, that's interesting. Uh, what else new in your life? But he didn't leave it there. And he kept saying, man, he said, their material's so good. Did you know, he said, that they use Neil Anderson's Freedom in Christ stuff? There's seven steps to freedom. And if you didn't know, I worked for Freedom in Christ. I happen to really like the material. So suddenly, my walls are coming down. I'm going, oh, really? Tell me more. And long story short, so we decide to go all the way to Manitoba to hear about church renewal. And you're going, okay, big deal. Well, this guy in Fort St. John's been praying for that. And this just gets more exciting. Like, God is in control, people, of you and me and the universe and everything that goes on. The, the stars line up just right. Jesus, just at the right time, is born. Uh, just, and we're going to go through even more of it, how a census was called, and they had to return to their hometown. This is just cool stuff. So I'm sitting with Tony and with... Uh, uh, the Bergens, a couple that used to come to this church years ago, and they moved away, and they worked for church renewal. And as we're talking to the Bergens, the Bergens are going, yeah, in April, we'd like to do a round table. What that is is to get pastors in the area, see if they're interested. They can come and hear about church renewal. And uh, Tony's going, well, you shouldn't just do it in Grand Prairie. You've got to do one in Fort St. John because, you know, people might come to Grand Prairie to shop, but they really don't want to come here for anything else. And there's that bit of town rivalry. And so the Bergen's like, well, I guess okay. And then John Bergen looks at me and says, but you need to have Tony to be here with you at the round table because you're so new in it. And then he, I think, just out of patronizing, says, maybe it'd be good for you to go to Fort St. John too. And uh, I think Tony's going, yeah, I guess that would be okay. And feeling a little insecure, I pipe up and go, well, I grew up in Fort St. John. And Tony looks at me and he goes, really? You've never told me that. He said, that's so perfect that you would come to Fort St. John and that you talking to the local people, they hopefully would trust you and the local pastors and the local churches. This is incredible how God's putting this all together. Are you hearing what God is about? what he's working through, and you think, oh, Anthony, your life is so blessed in God. Hey, this is everybody. God wants to be in your life in the exact same way. I mean, think about it. Two guys named Tony. Okay, Anthony is, Tony is short for Anthony, if you haven't figured that out. Two guys named Tony in different denominations connected by a town in Manitoba where one guy is 15 years in the city that the other guy was raised in connecting. Who knows what else God is up to, right? Who knows what else God is up to? We need to open up our eyes. We need to get on our knees and pray. 
You see, God had a plan for our sin to be forgiven before man's sin. He had a plan for Jesus to be born of a woman, to crush the instigators Satan's head. Friends, Jesus has a plan. Jesus is in control. And if you want to study a little more on uh, Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, study Revelation 12. I mean, just get your Bible and start reading through it. It'll make your head spin, in fact. Now this prediction that I just gave you that was fulfilled in Jesus being born of a woman and crushing Satan's evil head is unbelievable, but we're gonna go on. The next prediction that I wanna share with you is a very odd and a far-fetched prediction. In fact, it has never scientifically happened before or after Jesus, and by the way, science has been trying to do this. In other words, get rid of men so that women can get pregnant on their own. Prediction number two is that Jesus would be born of a virgin. Jesus would be born of a virgin. Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14. Isaiah is a prophet in the Old Testament, and it's one of the strongest prophecies, by the way, given of Jesus, and the prophecy says this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Now, this isn't a weak sign. This isn't a flimsy sign. This is an incredible sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and we'll call him Emmanuel. As we look at the New Testament passage, we'll find out that it means God with us. This was predicted approximately 700 years before Jesus' birth. Now listen to the fulfillment in Luke chapter one, verse 34. Who's done the Luke challenge, by the way? Been reading it? I still have to do today's reading. Only one person put up their hand. I'm gonna cry now. Luke chapter one, verse 34. How will this be? Now Mary's just been told by an angel she's about to have a baby. How will this be, Mary asked the angels, since I am a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. By the way, the imagery in the Greek here is a very gentle, kind of nondescript kind of thing happen. This isn't sex, by the way. This is God just coming on Mary. So the Holy One born will be called the Son of God. Friends, the birth of Jesus clearly took place through the Holy Spirit, conceiving the baby within Mary's womb. This work was a direct fulfillment of Isaiah's prophecy. Matthew, in his gospel, describes it this way in chapter one, verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. And just in case you didn't know, which means God with us. So you have the woman, the human genetics of Jesus, And you have God himself, the Holy Spirit, coming. So Jesus Christ being fully God and fully man. Friends, Jesus (coughs) Jesus was not just another prophet or another great teacher. He wasn't. He is fully God and fully man. He needed to be fully God to overcome death. For God cannot be killed. And he needed to be fully man to take the punishment of our sins by dying. For man can die. If that's brain bending in your head, read this short description and you can 
even use your phone or your tablet right now, if you search in Google and you search desiring God, Jesus, God, man, you will come across a website that describes how can Jesus be God and man. And if your head isn't hurting after you read that, then you are much brighter than me. You see, this is what God is about. God coming in the flesh of Jesus Christ. Being a light in the world, for God is light, God is love, and he is pushing back the darkness through his son. Years ago, I was hauling my family from Abbotsford, B.C. to Regina to go to Bible college. I had tried to do my own thing and make my own money, and finally God said, just go there in faith. So I remember uh, February 1st, I had already gone out to college for a month, and then I went February 1st to move my family to Regina to be with me, and my father-in-law had a big old Oldsmobile station wagon. It had a 454 rocket engine in it, for anybody that cares, big four-barrel car. Well, you could push the gas pedal and actually see the gas gauge go down in that thing. It was incredible, and it sounded like a jet engine taking off when you went. So I had a little U-Haul trailer behind it, and I wasn't too worried about things, if it had have enough power. The thing probably could have pulled a 747 along or something. So I'm going up the Coca-Cola with all this power, and you know, I was young then and foolish, and I put my foot to the floor, and I was going up that hill, and I was so proud passing everybody. And little did I know, this car didn't have a transmission cooler. And in my haste, and in the power that I was using, I heated the transmission up so hot that all the oil boiled out of it. Now there's a little tube for overflow, in these transmissions, and it all poured out onto the exhaust. So I had black smoke coming out everywhere, and I was going, oh no, what's happening? And I knew I was in trouble. I knew something was wrong. So I'm on the Coca-Cola. This is years ago, by the way, before they had all these connector roads. And there was this one overpass and this one connector, and it came up right on my right, and so I just took off on it, because I needed to get off the freeway to figure out what's going on, and I pulled over, and I put it in park, and I thought, hmm, I wonder what's going on. I put it in drive, put my foot on the floor, and it wouldn't move. Put it in park, shut the key off, checked the transmission oil, and it didn't even read on the dipstick. And, dipstick. and I was going, man, I am a dipstick, is what I was thinking. I'm in trouble. And I remember crying out to God, and I said, God, is it possible that you could have somebody drive by with a whole bunch of transmission oil to help me out here? And of course, it was one of those prayers. It's like, oh, it's never going to happen. I mean, not to mention, this connector went nowhere, and it really was just a turnaround in the middle of nowhere for no reason to turn back down on the freeway and go back down to Vancouver. And so I didn't think anything at all would happen. And so I said my prayer, said amen, and off comes a flatbed truck with four 45-gallon barrels on it. The guy pulls over, and you've probably already figured out, he goes, what's going on? Can I help you at all? And I go, well, not unless one of those big barrels is full of transmission oil, and he grins. And he goes, yes, one of those barrels is full of transmission oil, and I even have a pump. Can you believe it? This is the guy, I mean, think about the circumstances. Why at that time, at that moment, was a guy with a flat dead truck with transmission oil, I mean, who carries transmission oil? I, I never asked him why he was, and he fills me up, and I drive on my way, and off to Regina I went. Of course, I didn't use the power like I did before, and I was careful. But this is our God. When the time was full, 
lining up the stars and planets to give a guiding light. I mean, we're talking about Jesus being man and God, uh, and this is unbelievable. So prediction number three. Prediction number three. This Jesus would be the Son of God. This Jesus born, not just born of a woman, but he would become and be the Son of God. Isaiah 9, 6, and you probably all know this passage, for unto us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulders. Now the Jews at the time thought he was going to kick out the Romans, but we know after his death and resurrection it was much more than that. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Remember Jesus, John 14, he said, I need to go so that the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit, could come, and he will counsel you, and he will be with you, and he will commune with you, and he'll give you power. The light of the world will come inside you, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor. Listen to this, Mighty God. He's not just the son of Mary. He is the son of God. Now, we in our world, we're so individualistic. When I lived in Luceland, 20 years ago, it was still like this, like days of old. And if you went into the local credit union and said, hey, I'd like to borrow some money to buy a quarter of land, the guy would look up, oh, Anthony Bomer, your dad's name was Irvin, grandfather Duncan, oh, they were bad credit risk, sorry, you're done, I'm not going to lend you money. Uh, you were still considered by your genetics. For as the father or grandfather went, they would think that's how you went. I mean, that's the way that we are so individualistic. We, nature and nurture, I mean, we just, oh no, everybody's just an individual. But back in this day, the Son of God, I mean, literally, it was the essence of God in the person and man of Jesus. Mighty God, everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Think about it. Our all-powerful creator became a man to save us. Listen to John, the Apostle John, writing in the book of John, verse 10, verse 11, as he says, and he's recording Jesus' word, and Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, so when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. You see, Jesus was trying to explain to his followers that he wasn't just a hired man. He was the creator. He's the one who made us. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away because he is the hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. But Jesus said in verse 14, I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. This is an intimacy and a, and a I own you, so to speak, kind of term. And I lay down my life for my sheep. In Matthew chapter 3, verse 16, we jump in on Jesus' baptism. And in the baptism, and as we read this text, you'll see there's three parts of the Trinity show up. The dove lights down, comes down. Jesus is in the water. And the Father speaks. Listen to this. As soon as Jesus was baptized, he came up out of the water. At that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and alighting on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son. This is my essence. This is part of me, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. 
Friends, Jesus' life amongst us was predicted, prophesied. God had a plan, and the plan happens. Read the book of Revelation if you want to read to the end of how things really will go, and you will understand the end of the battle. I am shocked at how God has shaped my life. My wife and I were talking about this last week, talking about God working in our lives, and you need to understand it's not that our lives have been easy. In fact, I saw a meme on Facebook this week. Our plan to get to heaven is kind of a little straight line on a bicycle, very little uphill. God's plan was more, and the next scene was this picture of rocks and rivers and lakes and trees and streams and people trying to kill you and all sorts of stuff. You see, we think we know what's right. We think we know what's soon. So I've been shocked at how God has worked in my life. My wife struggles with depression. Especially this time of year, it's really difficult. And we haven't always had a lot of stuff. But when we looked at each other this week, we said, God is good. And he's used broken little us. Yet little did I know that I would one day live in, a, in Grand Prairie after circling around it for a few years. I grew up in Fort St. John, pastored in Tumblr Ridge, and I can remember in Tumblr Ridge at one point near the end of my ministry saying to my wife, where, where should we move? And she said, well, Grand Prairie would be nice. And then years later in Saskatchewan, I'm talking about, you know, maybe we should go pastor out in Vancouver. And she said, you can do that with your second wife. And... Uh, and I said, well, what about Fort St. John? You know, I started getting old like a dog wanting to go to his hometown. And she looks at me, and I kid you not, she said, I'll go as far as Grand Prairie, but no further. This is way before we... You see, this is God who orchestrates and plans our lives. And we look back on it. And I've told my children, my four kids, don't get discouraged in your journey in life because one day you'll look back, whether here or in heaven, and it'll all make complete sense. Little did I know that my soul wounds would be revealed by Jesus over the years and healing would begin. And in that healing, I would begin to share with other people how Jesus Christ came in a manger and he lived amongst us and died on a cross so that my sins could be forgiven, that I could become adopted, one of God's children. God, friends, is good despite many of the hard times we go through. Fourth and final prediction, and this is a really good one too, that Jesus would be born in Bethlehem. This prediction is found in Micah chapter five, verse two in the Old Testament. But you, Bethlehem, Ephraim, Ephrathah, though you are small, like Pooskoopy, among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from old, from ancient times. Now, at this time, when Jesus was born, there were two places known as Bethlehem. But Micah specifically refers to Bethlehem in Judah as the location of the Messiah's birth. Further, this Messiah would become the shepherd, meaning the leader of Israel. When Jesus was later put to death, if you remember the scene, over his head was a sign, and it was listed, the King of the Jews. Luke 2, which is a beautiful chapter that is often read at Christmas about Jesus' birth. Luke 2, chapter 1, listen to what it says. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. I mean, think about this. Why, at that, why a census? 
it was because Jesus needed to be born Bethlehem. Listen, this was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David. Why? At this time? Because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Do you remember Joseph was going to put Mary away, so there is no hanky-panky that was going on before. Uh, Joseph thought Mary had been into some trouble, and he quietly was going to put her away. You see, Jesus was born of a virgin, and when the time was right, when the stars were lined up, when this governor called the census, and verse 6, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in clothes and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. Now these are some other prophecies that were fulfilled about his lowly birth. And he was from the line of David. Look at the circumstances. Years ago I had the privilege of meeting a guy by the name of Pastor Elf Orthner. Now if you're really old and you've been around the Alliance a long time you'll recognize the name. When I met Elf, I had no idea who he was or what his fame was. Now, Elf Orthner used to be a district superintendent. He pastored some of the biggest Alliance churches in Western Canada. This is an incredible guy. I just knew him as the sponsor for the young adult group I was attending. Elf, for whatever reason, decided to start taking me out for coffee and visiting me. He never told me about his exploits or his greatness or anything. He would tell me about the little churches he pastored. And he began to lay a foundation for some of the little churches I would pastor in the wilderness, 40 years. No, it felt like 40 years in Saskatchewan, but it wasn't. But God orchestrated me to meet somebody like Elf, who would speak into my life. Elf did my wife and I's wedding, along with my wife's grandfather, another whole incredible story. But you see, this is what God is up to. I've connected over the years with a lot of cool people, so many that I can't even name, who have built into my life, you see, because God has a plan, and you might go, just for you? No, for every one of you here in this place. God has a plan. So here's the conclusion. It's a little bit of a long conclusion, so don't get too excited. In the Old Testament, the very last book in there is the book of Malachi. Malachi chapter four, verse five and six, the very last verses say this. This is the last prophecy, the last words recorded for over 400 years until Jesus came. This is probably, it's often called the silent years, but listen to this. See, I will send the prophet Elijah to you before that great and dreadful day of the Lord comes. He will turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the hearts of the children to their parents or else... I will come and strike the land with total destruction. 400 years, there was silence. There was no prophets, no words recorded. Israel hummed along and kicked along. And even though it's called the silent years, I came across this by Max Licato from the book called The Story. For 400 years after Malachi's prophecies, no prophets or leaders rose to the level of inclusion in the record of Holy Scripture. For this reason, the period is sometimes referred to as the silent years. In actuality, 
These years of social and political upheaval were anything but silent for the Jewish people. The Maccabean revolt against the Seleucids during the second century BC was one of the most heroic eras of Jewish history. During these 400 years, numerous significant writings were produced as well. The Qumran community copied the books of Isaiah, the Psalms, Deuteronomy, and other sacred writings. These ancient manuscripts were discovered by the shepherd boy in A.D. 1947 near the Dead Sea and are known today as the Dead Sea Scrolls. God is at work. The Septuagint, the Greek translation of the Old Testament, now the original Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the Jewish language, the Septuagint, the Greek translation, was also an important product of this period. It became the Bible for Greek-speaking Jews outside Palestine, but listen to this, and later for the early church, for the early church was basically growing initially just in Roman-held lands. So God was preparing and had a plan, lining up stars, lining up Jesus' birth in Bethlehem, lining up the scriptures to be written, lining up my life to happen when it happened, where it happened, how it happened with a guy who pulled over with just the right amount of oil so that I could get to Bible college. Max Licata goes on, but God's story wasn't finished. When the set time had fully come, as the apostle Paul put it, God spoke again, this time in the person of Jesus, the Messiah, the Son of God, whose birth, life, death, and resurrection changed everything. Now the prophet's ancient promises of a new servant king and kingdom of God, the promises anticipated for so many years came to life in bold new ways. Now the people could see personified God's gracious, compassionate, unfailing love and dedication to restoring lost relationships through this carpenter and itinerant teacher, Jesus the Messiah, come to set his people free. All the wisdom and purposes of God centered in Jesus' mission on planet Earth. He was God's final word. And this is how it happened. So let me ask you a few questions. Has part of you been waiting for rescuing? Might feel like 400 years, but I wanna tell you that God has a plan and he's always had a plan for you. And today might be that day where you finally accept it and realize it. My second question is God speaking to you right now most of us go, well, does God speak today? Have you ever bothered to ask him? God, are you there? How do you think? Do you love me? Do you care for me? What's your plan? And thirdly, are you ready to receive Jesus, whether you're old in the faith or you're just searching it out here at church? And fourthly and finally, are you ready or willing to invite another person in your circles of life to the life-changing message of Jesus. Are you ready for that? We have some Christmas Eve services coming up and they're gonna be really good. We've been planning them and practicing already. And by the way, there's some posters out in the atrium on a table that you could take them, put them up at your place of work. Get permission when you put them up. Don't just put them up. We don't wanna look bad that way. Have them slapped up everywhere and the courts come after us. But are you ready to be part of God's story. Are you ready? 
inviting other people in because God may have placed you where you are for such a time as this. The time may be full for your friends and neighbor to hear about Jesus. The time may be full for you to say, I believe in Jesus and I accept and receive him. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your word, which is a wonderful written declaration of what was, what is, and what is to come. And Father, if there's somebody here today that's just been exploring Jesus, and they have sensed and felt you, God, drawing them to this place at this time, in the name of Jesus Christ, would they just, in their mind's eye, in their mind's voice, would they just say, Jesus, I accept you, I receive you, forgive me for my sins, I want to be reconciled to God, and may they do that this morning. And for those long in the tooth, maybe uh, Christianity's been kind of pushed to the side of their lives, and they've been clamoring and struggling and trying so hard to uh, pile up riches and build bigger barns and have the better holidays, and yet it's coming up short, and they're finding their soul is so empty, and they have soul wounds that are directing and making them uh, take courses of actions and choices and decisions that they wish they hadn't made. Oh, Jesus, would you let you become, would, would you become the center of all of our lives? Would we be able to go for walks in the evening in the garden with you because of what Jesus has done on the cross? Jesus, would you let your Holy Spirit come and reside in us and would we pay attention to that still small voice that is always speaking to us both through the scriptures and outside of the scriptures, God? Would, would you help us to hear your voice? And may the gates of hell be pushed back. May we as individuals and we as a church uh, be that beautiful light on a hill. Thank you, Jesus. In Jesus Christ's name I pray, amen.